Welcome to the Draft Deeper Podcast. This is your host, Nathan Grubel. Joining me as always is my producer, Kevin Black. We're recording this on Monday, November 29th. It's a Monday. You know what that means. That means Tyler Rucker, a.k.a. Backward B, is joining me for another week that was in college hoops. If you haven't read my morning dump column yet, please go subscribe to the No Ceiling Substack first and foremost, and then go click on that lovely column that I put up this morning. Absolutely fantastic work by me. Yes, I'm going to pat myself on the back because I put my heart and soul into those columns. If you've read one of them so far, I think you would probably agree on that, that at the very least I put a lot of effort into them. So I would appreciate if you would go and read that. If you did read it this morning, then that was a great primer for what Tyler and I are going to talk about tonight. Um, we were both out scouting live in the world, believe it or not, last week. He was on the road with our good friend Albert, also a member of No Ceilings in Las Vegas, scouting Gonzaga and then UCLA, and then UCLA against Gonzaga. And it was quite the matchup. Gonzaga also played Duke last week. That was a mega game. Meanwhile, on Wednesday, I was in Brooklyn with another good friend of ours, Corey Tulliba, and we were seeing Iowa State and Memphis do battle against Xavier and Virginia Tech, respectively. So there's enough to reflect on from what we saw this past week, but obviously we'll throw some thoughts about Duke in there as well. Tyler, first of all, how are you doing? And how was your on-the-road experience, your first one really this year to, to kick it off? I'm doing good. You know, I'm, I'm more excited for our Monday tradition. And, you know, as, as Nathan hinted, the morning dunk on No Ceilings has become pretty much my tradition to start out the new week because he does a fantastic job of reviewing everything that's going on in the NBA draft and scouting world. And also pointing out the upcoming games to get excited about. So that's been fantastic. But yes, Vegas was sensational. It felt great to finally get back on the road and see some great competition live, get to have a hands-on view of some of the top prospects that are creating some buzz in the scouting world. So it was great. I'm excited to share my thoughts. I'm excited to hear your thoughts about Brooklyn and, and those games, and it, it's going to be awesome. I like, I like the Barclays Center. I like the idea of going to Brooklyn to scout basketball. New York is not always my favorite city to travel to because it's so crowded. I'm, I'm much more of a Philly guy personally, but it was really nice to not only get on the road, but also meet Corey in person, be able to have some conversations with him side by side and kind of see through a little bit of the lens that he looks through when he scouted some guys and, and to be able to swap some of those thoughts back and forth is always fun. So Tyler, let's start off with, since you're the guest of honor, let's start off with a little bit of what you saw. Gonzaga and UCLA was obviously the main reason why you and Albert were, were in Vegas. You saw two games previously the night before uh, when Gonzaga and UCLA were playing lower-level competition. But when they went up against each other, that was certainly a clash of titans, number one versus number two. I wrote extensively about Chet Holmgren this morning and some of my thoughts, but why don't we start with Mr. Holmgren, Tyler? What were some of your thoughts being able to scout him up close in that game as well as just some of the observations of the little things you were able to take in from seeing him warm up, pregame, et cetera? Yeah, it was, it was fantastic to go check out the games with Albert. I had a great time, you know, kind of 
talking draft with, with somebody else on the no ceilings team and finally getting to meet him in person. And, you know, I, I wanted to make that trip specifically to watch Chet and I'm not going to hide from it. It was the reason I was going there. You know, I wanted to see obviously the UCLA team and we'll have plenty of thoughts about that. But Chet was just someone that was so polarizing when you watched him on film and yep. I wanted to kind of see his frame in person. And it's not this situation where I was, you know, not saying he was a good prospect just because of the frame, but you kind of wanted to get an in-person feel of how skinny did he really look? Was it, was it that obvious when you're, you know, on the, on the floor with him? And I was a little surprised. It, It was much more solid and not as, I guess, terrifying, if you want to put it that way, than I expected it to be. Um, you know, a little bit stronger, lower base than I thought. And he seemed more fluid in person than on film, which was like a pleasant surprise to me. So, you know, getting to kind of see his frame, his length, which was just freakish, especially in person. And then watching him warm up and how fluid he was with some of the shots he was taking, you know, his handles, he just kept checking a lot of boxes. And then when the game started, I mean, you quickly realized why he's a potential number one pick. It just some of the stuff he can do on the floor when it's not even scoring. It's just how he impacts the game on both sides of the floor. Some of the vision he has offensively and defensively. He's special. And, and I know a lot of evaluators or draft fans will be scared of his frame, but when you watch him, I mean, he battles, especially when you got to see that in person, you know, that's something me and Albert kept talking about nonstop was the mentality, you know, doing some of the things he does with that frame, just fearless, not afraid to mix it up. And and I just, I came away very impressed. And, And I'm one of those people that I don't get too high off of one game. I don't get too low off of one game. But Chet just checked a lot of boxes, in my opinion, and I'm going to be very high on him and probably another big name we're going to talk about in a little bit. But very fun trip. I, I'm excited I got to see Chet in person, and I came away very impressed. So talk about talk a little more about Chet's fluidity and his mobility as a big man when you're actually seeing him in person. Because I, I was not fortunate enough to be at T-Mobile Arena out in Las Vegas with you guys, but I was watching on TV and obviously that was Dick Vitale's great return to the sidelines with everything he's been dealing with as far as his cancer is concerned. I was wishing him the best of that whole process. I'm glad that he was back out there, but he was excited like a kid in a candy store when he was watching Chet run at full speed, handling the basketball and transition and pulling off some of the things that he was able to do. Talk about how special it was to see that in person and why that should absolutely not be lost in the weeds when we're talking about some of these negatives with Chet's game. Talk about how special that fluidity, that mobility is and why that can propel him to be a number one pick in the draft. Yeah, I mean, shout out to Dickie V, just seeing him walk across the court to get back to the headset and just the smile he had on his face. I mean, the place was up for grabs. It was, it was really cool to be a part of the entire experience. But when it came to Chet, it, it just jumped out immediately in warmups. You know, he was he was doing some things where he's going, you know, between the legs and trying to hit a step back jumper, just trying to put up game shots. And you're just like, he he's so fluid. There's no like, you know, a robotic step process to to get the shot up. It was just all this one constant motion. And 
it was just eye-opening, you know, and Albert and I just couldn't stop talking about it because he was just even running up and down the floor. You can tell he looks awkward on film, but when you were there seeing it live in person, it's just effortless. You know, it's also like if his frame does fill out, does this make him even more of a threat where he can maybe push guys off with that fluidity? And I, I thought going into that experience, I was going to be a little concerned with his handles, you know, because we've seen on film sometimes he can get a little bit wide with it, but he just has some really impressive anticipation that pairs well with that fluidity. So just seeing him move around the court, you know, where it's, he doesn't have the ball in his hands, but he knows how to cut and he can cut quickly and kind of make an impact that way. Just really impressive. Uh, and a guy that has that size and length that can move like that and has that mobility, it's, it's just going to have teams drooling at the NBA level. And that's, that is absolutely what sets him apart in my mind offensively. It's not just the threat of the jump shot because the jump shot by the numbers, has not been there at all for him really this season. He's hit a few open shots at the top of the key, but other than that, he's not rating out well by the catch-and-shoot numbers. He's in, like the, I believe, the 30th percentile in terms of jump shots overall. So that part of his game is not translated yet, but you mentioned the cutting ability. He's 13 of 14 on cuts this year. He's 10 of 12 scoring at the rim in transition. Those would really have to be in the 94th and 96th percentiles respectively. So by doing the little things, the simple things for somebody with his size and his coordination, he's absolutely hammering those things home offensively. And the fact that he's only scratching the surface of his overall game, the fact that he's only in the seventh percentile, there's no zero behind that seventh percentile in terms of spot up scoring. We would imagine that that number, as well as some of the catch and shoot numbers and the jump shoot numbers are going to climb as the season goes on, as he does get a little bit of lower competition to feast on, I would assume that those numbers are going up, but still raining out in the 92nd percentile, despite some of the physical concerns where everything's coming in the interior. It doesn't matter who he's going up against. He's finding ways to be effective. And UCLA was, it would have been a better test if Cody Riley was down low for UCLA. He was out of that game, but they did have Miles Johnson. Miles Johnson is a senior big man who certainly has some bulk, some girth to him. And it didn't matter for Chet. Chet was dominant in the UCLA game. Like there, there are things I'm sure we'll get to um, some, some issues that came up against Duke and the front court of Palo Vincaro and Mark Williams. But Tyler, you were there in person seeing Chet dominate in the front court and offensively, defensively down low, especially on the defensive end. I've never seen a prospect and we've, Touched on this a little bit, but I've never seen a prospect get back down as many times as Chet does, yet he still makes a play on the ball and, and, and makes a momentum swinging block or a defensive play. Talk to me about what it was like seeing that in person, seeing him get back down a little bit, but actually battle and be able to make a play. And after seeing it in person, do you think that's going to be an issue for him once he gets to the NBA, or do you think he'll be able to make some of the same plays? Yeah, I talked about it a little bit with Albert on the No Ceilings pod. And what was so fascinating to me with Chet, you know, we, we went into this game knowing he was a special shot blocking presence. But when you watched his engagement defensively away from the ball, just how much 
how many things he's processing yeah. on the court is unbelievable. He has a and very high basketball IQ on both ends of the court. It is incredibly fun to watch because that's something that I've talked about with Albert is it's so different to evaluate. It's two different evaluations. And you know this, Nathan, when you're, when you're watching it on film and watching it in person, because you can see stuff in person that you can't see on film or you, you know, I'm just saying, and watching Chet just, I just focused on him for sequences on defense, watching his processing of like multiple actions going on. He's, he's reading five different things at like one time. It, It was crazy. It was like a chess player trying to be, a couple moves ahead. And another thing that you just pointed out that exceptional, like it impressed me so much was he knows guys are going to physical, you know, go right at him. He knows people are going to challenge his frame, but it's like, he's inviting them. He's like, yes, I, I, I am the waiter. Come on in. Like, here's your table. And right when everyone thinks they have him and they, they get him right below the hoop. He just makes great anticipation plays of like, this is exactly where you're going to go with it. I'm putting my hand up right there because I understand where the angle is. It's just mature and awareness of, I know what my limitations might be physically, but I also know how to counter that. So yeah, against UCLA, he stood out because he just knew it. He was dominating. I, I went into that game feeling like it was a weird matchup just when you went one through five. I thought Chet and Timmy had a chance to have some real success against UCLA. And it was just ugly from the start for the Bruins, but Chet was just fantastic in that game. And you can see the shot blocking, the defensive mindset, even what he does offensively as a passer to set up some of his teammates. You know, he did a great job of having some high lows, having some good looks. So, yeah, I mean, that game was just sensational. I, I was very impressed. I thought it was going to be this game that I needed to cement my feelings for what I saw from Chet against Bellarmine, and, or Central Michigan, I'm sorry. And, yeah, it, it, it was definitely a, okay, check. Like, I believe what I'm seeing right now. <sighs> Mr. Holmgren, such a fascinating prospect, one of the most fun big man I think I've ever evaluated I've already called him the best defensive prospect that I've ever evaluated I've been at this scouting game for 10 years we're going to be going into year 11 here where I've actually been trying my hand at this I I I can't recall somebody who just understands how to play defense at another level it's not just his physical ability it's not just his length it's his timing it's his anticipation. As you mentioned, it's his ability to read what's going on, process five different things at once, and then ultimately make the right decision to make that momentum swinging play for his team. And that's a big reason why NBA teams fall in love with Evan Mobley last year, why Evan Mobley was a top three pick. Evan Mobley showed a lot of the same things at USC as far as being able to quarterback a defense, being able to switch out and make a play on re- – it doesn't matter who he was guarding. Do you get that same ability from Chet that he's going to be able to do a lot of those same things when it comes to defending in space, defending on the perimeter, blocking, you know, three-point shots, kind of like what we saw from Mobley? Do you think that some of that stuff is going to be able to to translate to the NBA as well? Like, how would you compare those two prospects defensively after you were able to see Chet up close? You know, I I actually think this is a great 
because I want to get your opinion on that too. I think Chet's going to be this guy that he's not going to have all these sexy stats, but I think he makes way more of an impact than the box scores are going to tell you. And, And he just makes so, he causes so many problems defensively, like without, you know, recording a stat, without getting a steal, without getting a block. It's just the positioning, the altering of driving lanes, the, knowing where to rotate he's he anticipates stuff and you you've seen in a couple of games guys drive and they're like i don't even the ucla game people didn't even want to go near him at times they were like nope no 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 let me dribble this back out like he's just this rim protecting havoc causing influence in the paint so i think the mobley argument is fantastic I think he's going to do a lot of stuff that Mobley's doing right now because there's just that length and two-way potential. And I meant to talk about this earlier when you brought it up. The shot hasn't been falling from outside. Nope. But when you watch him in warm-ups, it falls. And it, you know, Albert even... It looks good. Him. His mechanics it's, look really good. It's so fluid in warm-ups. It's beautiful to watch. Like, I'm not... Everyone's going to come at me after this comment, but I'm not saying he's this guy, but when you watch his shot in warmups, it's, it's like Durant with how fluid it is. And he's going like between the legs, step back, just one beautiful motion. And you're like, man, look, that's something Durant does. So, and Albert even commented, he's like, I just watched him make 10 threes in a row and he's swishing everything. So, I mean, it's going to be a matter of time before the shot starts coming around. And then that's just an entirely different you know, conversation, but with him and Mobley, Mobley was so good defensively. I get weird vibes that Chet almost might be a little bit more advanced. I, I think he's know? better. I really I do think, think he's, he's going to be better defensively. Um, I, I think he's further at this stage than Mobley was at USC, if that makes sense. And I think that's terrifying to realize because I think he's just going to be this impactful defender that, you know, we might be talking, we're going to talk about Boncaro. Yeah. I know how sexy the offensive firepower is. I get it. But I think Chet might not put up the numbers he will, but the impact might be greater on both sides, if that makes sense to you. You don't know, you understand what I'm trying to say? Like, I, I think I'm going to buy into Chet more just because he's going to do so many things that aren't in the box score. What's crazy, though, is you say that, and yet he still has like a 31 PER. I think right now in the games he's played, which again, he's played UCLA, he's played Duke. Those were two definite top five teams in the nation. So it's not like he's just only exclusively beating up on teams in the WCC. Like Chet has played really good competition and he comes out of that seven games played. He has a 31 PER, he's shooting 69% from the field. And if some of the only nitpicks that we can really throw out there are uh, yeah, I guess we'll get into some of the negatives. So, well, and Texas, and Texas. And, and, I know and it's Texas, guard heavy. And Texas. I know they're guard heavy, but it's Texas. So, and Texas, um, yes. which he didn't even have a good game against Texas, right? Which it's that that adds into the numbers as well. So, if you want to compare Chet to Mobley, I think he's actually going to be better defensively. I think he is more coordinated, more fluid out of the perimeter. I think that competitive edge that he has, that toughness, and I'm sure that you really noticed that jump out to you in person even more so than on the film like that guy does not care who he's going up against he's going to try his best to battle with you 
and he's that competitive. He's going to do everything in his power to try to make a play. If he fails at making the play, he's going to get right back up and he's going to run as hard as he can to the other end. That's just the kind of guy that Chet is. And at his size, sure, if you go back and watch the film, like he's not running at full speed every single possession on the floor. But when he does get beat, you know damn well that he's trying twice as hard on the other end. So that stands out to Chet. That, that competitive fire, I think, is why he's going to be able to stand out defensively because he does read the game the same way as Mobley on that end of the floor. He can switch out. He can defend in space. He's more than comfortable s- swallowing up guards or wings with his length, attempting to make a play. So I really like him on that end of the floor. Obviously, we can talk about his rim protection. Like He already has 24 blocks on the season in seven games. That is absurd. I can only imagine what his block total is going to be at the end of the year, especially when you do factor in some of the WCC competition when he's playing against guys who, as you mentioned, you saw it in person at UCLA. Some guys didn't want to drive at him at times. That will most definitely be the case when he faces lower-level competition. I can only imagine what some of those block numbers are going to be. But defensively, the only qualm I have with him is, and it's the same on the offensive end as well, the rebounding is not good. Before I get into some of the other negatives, Tyler, why don't you give me a quick eval about what you saw from him from a rebounding perspective? Like, does he have decent box-out technique? Is he at least trying on that end? Do you think it's mainly attributed to the fact that he's not as strong yet? And once he does build out, he has the technique in place to be able to pile up more of those rebounds. What did you see from him on that end? There's, There's a focus of he's doing the right things. I think the frame does come in in that situation because you'll see like a shot's going up and he's hunting guys to get a body on. Like he's, he's putting in the work, he's doing the right things, but there's definitely times where guys will use their strength to kind of push him out of position and he just can't reach back and get that rebound. So I'm like you, there's definitely some defensive, especially I would say. And, you know, I know we're going to talk about the the Duke game, I think th- that game kind of showed some signs where you're like, okay, if a bigger guy's getting into him on the on the boards, you could see that there's some problems. Now, I, there was just some rebounds that he couldn't reach. You know, they're just out of his position. But I do think that's going to play into it. And I'm hoping the frame fills out. I, I think he's engaging and definitely gives a shit about trying to get a rebound and putting himself in the right spot. And he works in the post. He works defensively when guys are trying to post him up he's throwing guys around he's trying to get in front of them you know you just ended on something I wanted to point out when I saw him in person his fluidity with his hips defensively when he was guarding smaller guards yeah really impressed me I mean that's something that jumped at me I was like oh my gosh his feet are fantastic on both sides of the ball. Hands and feet I know you love to evaluate uh, things that's the first thing you go to hands and feet great for Chad Hands and feet because he, he had some cuts where he would get bullet passes and he caught them like a pillow and just soft touch around the rim. And he also had some great footwork possessions where he was stepping through. I mean, definitely. I mean, he checked a lot of boxes. So rebounding, I'm definitely going to want to watch moving forward just because, like I said, the Duke game going against like Mark Williams and stuff, he had a couple of possessions where he got a little out-muscled and just didn't have good positioning. But I do think that if the frame fills out, that could be something that becomes much more easier for him, if that makes sense. 
Yeah, and the, the rebounding on both ends obviously has not been great so far. Hasn't been terrible. Hasn't been a dumpster fire. And we will attribute a lot of that to just him wanting to rebound the ball. But there are times where it just feels like he can't get his body in front of somebody else. And uh, another big guy like, like Mark Williams, for example, this will be a nice transition to do, was able to box him out pretty effectively. Paolo Bancaro a few times boxed him out pretty effectively. And the difference between Chet and Mobley is that Mobley is more of a vertical big. So it's not only the length with Mobley, it's also his ability to get up off the ground pretty quick and snare some of those rebounds out, even if he's another guy who he's, he's not built fantastically either in terms of bulk. But if you're able to get up off the ground and, and utilize your length in that way, you can steal away a few rebounds that you might not be able to get otherwise. Um, the, the other two things that really stand out to me about Shea, you talked about some of his processing ability on the offensive end, his passing. I think he, I think he shares a lot of the same court vision that Mobley does. If you really watch close enough, but I don't think Chet Mobley's a great passer. Like, mm-hmm. the, the, like Chet's a good passer, but Mobley is a great passer. Mobley can thread the needle where, whereas Chet, whereas Chet can't. So that. That's a main thing that jumps out between the two. And then the other we alluded to with the jump shooting, you talked about how you saw him in warmups. He was hitting some of those step back type jumpers off the dribble. Some of the things he was trying to do in practice time. Mobley, we saw plenty of examples at USC of his ability to catch and shoot, but he's actually been more effective in the NBA shooting off the dribble, which is something that Chet has shown zero signs of doing at least right now in games at the college level. So those are the two big things that stand out to me between the two, but it's, it's watching, being able to be there in practice time, watch the warmups, that stuff matters because people wanted to nitpick Alper and Shengun's shooting percentages, for example, last year, and he shot under 20% from three point range, but you would watch him some of like the practice type stuff that leaked out on social media. He was hitting like step back three pointers, like it was nothing. And now you see that in an NBA game, when he's gotten some more time to work on it, he's one of the better rookies in terms of three-point shooting out of all of them. So it's one thing where, yeah, you might not see the shot falling in games, but if you watch and you notice that the mechanics are good, if he does have a comfort level taking the shots, like eventually it's probably going to click, right? It's probably going to translate. So if we're comparing them today, Mobley's obviously the better better prospect long-term, but that doesn't mean that Chet can't eventually match that or potentially exceed that of Mobley. So I'll just ask you this question, not necessarily making you choose between the two of them, but in terms of ceilings in this draft class overall, is does Chet have the highest ceiling in this draft class? And that will feed directly into us talking about Duke and Paolo. Oof. I actually um, think he does. I'll, I'll I'll buffer your answer before I. I'll, I'll say that he, I actually do think he does. And I, and just to spoil it, he is he is going to be number one on my big board when when I eventually re- release it. Just a little teaser for everybody. I, I do think, and I think it. I thought that before you even asked that question. I do think the ceiling is probably the highest, just because it's it's funny. Like I, I knew I liked Nathan because. I was literally thinking, like, I haven't seen him take one off the dribble. And then you just said it out loud. Like, he showed it in warm-ups that he can, he can shoot very smooth off the dribble. So it's just something I haven't seen in the games. Now, maybe that outside shot starts falling, and then defense is respected a little more, and then he can take guys off the bounce. 
But I do think Chet has the highest ceiling just because we're talking about, you know, if he adds some strength, the shot starts falling. He can do, he starts doing some stuff off the dribble. He doesn't have to show that much more in in some of these games coming up to really cement himself as the number one pick. Like, if you were a fan of Mobley last year, why wouldn't you be a fan of Chet this year? There's so many similarities between the two. I I completely agree. And, and me and you have talked about Jabari Smith before. It's those two guys are similar skill sets to Chet and Mobley. You know what I'm saying? Like it's just this freakish length, this anticipation, awareness, basketball intelligence that has the potential to be a really really impressive player on both sides of the floor. I I think it's going to be really hard for me not to have Chet one. And I'm saying that with how much I love Paulo, but Chet just does so many other things that I, I think are just special. And he's going to impact the game in so many different ways. Well, let's talk about Mr. Paolo Ben yes. a little bit. Because he had about time. a... <laughs> listen, listen. I wrote about Chet the most this morning. We had to talk about Mr. Holmgren. We had to get some of those thoughts out of the way because... We started off when we talked about him. His body isn't filled out yet. He's not a finished pro- uh, product physically. Like that, that, I want that to be some of the last times we talk about that on this podcast. Because if that's really the only narrative that people are going to have to strike a nail in the Chet Holmgren coffin, then that is such lazy evaluation. Like I, I, I don't want to hear it, and I don't want to keep talking about it. So you and I will skate right along. We're going to move to Mr. Bancaro, who is anything – but underdeveloped physically. He's 6'10", 250 pounds. He is a wrecking ball. He's a freight train. He put that fully on display. One of the, the biggest clips that has laid claim to fame for some Chet Holmberg critics was when Paolo Vancaro finished that and one, putting his shoulder, driving right through Chet, finishing that basket. But also the shooting ability, Tyler, being able to hit those trailer transition threes like they were nothing. The high arc, the beautiful release point on the shot, the smoothness, his comfort level, how much energy that he brought into that building after he took those shots and made those shots. <sighs> what a special prospect, man. Talk to me about how you're feeling about Paolo Bancaro through some of these first early games, particularly after what he did against Gonzaga. I mean, he was unbelievable in that first half and it wasn't just what he was doing but on the you know with scoring he was flying all over the place i i joked it looked like he took a bunch of espresso shots before the game i mean he was just bouncing around like a little kid he was he was leading the break throwing dimes to people he was like jumping up and down he was just pumped up and I thought it was a, I wanted to see if he was going to have that fire of like, this is my game to tell everyone who I am. Like, I'm tired of hearing about Chet. This is time for you to know about me. And I was really curious to see if he was going to try to show the outside shot. And boy, he was just on fire. I mean, he was just all over the place. The clip you talk about where he got the N1 on Chet went right into his body. We're going to see that 98 million more times on social media. So... I don't know. It, he's just special. I get anyone that's going to say, oh, what are you talking about? We should have him over Chet. I, I get anyone that wants to go down that road because Paulo is special. He's got the frame. He's got the strength. He's got the offensive firepower that 
the NBA loves right now. That's the sexy part of the game. But, you know, I just still, I, I think it's just going to be a fantastic debate throughout the entire year. And we know it's just going to get louder and louder as these guys keep putting up impressive performances. But Paolo is just special because he has all this offensive firepower. And I still think the defensive side has some levels that he's going to reach. I think he's still an unfinished product that's only going to get better when it comes to his defensive ability. That's that's where I was going next. Why don't you just get into a few thoughts about his defense? Because that's really it, it, where, where Chet's stronger right now in terms of his defensive impact. That is not Paolo's strong suit. Paolo is a much more offensive-oriented big right now, but he hasn't been as great on the defensive end. What are some of your thoughts there? Yeah, I just, you haven't, you know, you see Chet just absolutely take over a game, not just shot blocking, but just how it can impact defense. And it seems like Paolo's done the opposite on the offensive side of the ball. Like he's he's dominating offensively, but we just haven't seen that defensive I don't even know, like, solid, you know, he hasn't solidified our hopes of him becoming this defensive guy who can maintain his own at the next level. I'm not saying he's been horrendous. I'm just saying we want to see a little bit more when you're trying to compare him to someone like Chet. And the same argument can be opposite, where we want to see a little bit more offensively from Chet compared to Pallet. Like, I get it. That's what we're going to go back and forth throughout the year. But, you know, I just kind of want to see him maintain more when it comes to defending multiple positions when he gets has to deal with smaller guards yeah i'm starting to get a little like in the back of my mind just wondering this conditioning thing with the cramps you know that's that's where i was gonna go as far as him defensively like i think he's shown i think he's shown signs of true toughness on the block he's shown some pretty good signs at least in my opinion of him potentially acting as like a small ball type of rim protector. Yeah, like I think yes. his defense around the basket has actually been pretty good. But it's exactly as you were probably going to lead into when he when he's forced to constantly move on the perimeter, have to switch in in, in some type of pick and roll coverage, have to guard somebody smaller than him who's quicker than him. He doesn't have that mobility right now to be able to keep up with them, and it's likely all from a conditioning point, like. In two big games now, he's gotten cramps in the second half, and he's had to come off the court for pretty long stretches. It's not like he's just out for, like, two minutes, you know, Coach K is calling a timeout, he's going right back in there. Like, we're talking, like, in real time, like, 10, 15-minute stretches. Not, not in game time, but real time, like, 10, 15-minute stretches, he has to be off the court. And it's not just once that that happens in the second half. It, it feels like it's been multiple times in some of these big games. And that's a problem. I know that... Correct me if I'm wrong, I think in the Gonzaga-Duke game, I think he was really the only one that suffered from the cramp issue. But in Madison Square Garden, it was like Wendell Moore was going out for stuff. Like, it wasn't just Paolo in that first game. So, yeah, I I question what what the hell is going on at Duke from a conditioning perspective. But I really do think that's feeding into a lot of the defensive effort and the fact that that Duke team needs him to be dominant on the offensive end to really hit their peak and win some of these big games, like against the Gonzaga, for example, where their defense at each level is pretty consistent throughout the entire portion of the game. And it's asking a lot to ask Wendell Moore to hit like five to seven big shots, for Jeremy Roach to hit a bunch of big shots, for Trevor Keels to try and step up and hit a bunch of three-pointers, which that's 
not quite in his bag yet. I know we all got really excited about Trevor Keels and we're probably still have all the keels over here at no ceiling, but he was only two of eight from three point range in that game. He did struggle. So Paolo is their engine. He's their engine on offense. He's going to be where they need to go to feed the ball. And if he has to give so much on that end, especially with some of these conditioning issues early on in the season, there's always so much he can give on defense. Yeah. And it's funny. I did a post game show with Steven over at draft capital. And I joked with him. I said, in the first half, like right towards the right towards halftime, they panned over. The ball was out of bounds. They panned over right to Paulo, and you just got a close up on his face, and he looked like he was breathing for dear life. And I was like, "Okay, I get it," because he's just been flying all over the place. He's been playing his heart out. He looked like he was like, "I have one game to show everyone that I should be the number one pick. I'm going all out." Yep. But then I kind of got like this weird idea in my mind. I was like, "Is he really out of shape all of a sudden?" And then. Came back out. He had the cramp issue. Like you said, he he basically missed most of the second half. And he was in the tunnel. You kept waiting for him to come back out. He came back out. Then he checks out with like three minutes left in a close game where you're like, oh, boy. this. And you could tell when he was back on the court, he wasn't right. Like you could yep. tell it was bothering him. He was pretty much a ghost offensively. It was almost like he was a decoy at times. Then he checks out. So it's something to watch moving forward because, you know, we want to see what he can do more consistently on the defensive side of the ball. His conditioning is going to need to be there so that we can see over serious stretches of games. So, yeah, I I mean, it was just, it was crazy because it was like, he was looking like he was almost going to have 40. Then he was pretty much misses the entire, you know, second half. Chet gets in foul trouble in the first half, comes out, has this really solid second half. That I was very impressed how he basically battled back. So I, I think it's just going to be this, this seesaw, you know, debate throughout the entire year. And I know that we've nitpicked a few things that we've seen on film from Paolo. The numbers would still technically indicate that he's been good on defense, which is mm-hmm. that that's the crazy part about it. He's still in the 73rd percentile in terms of total defense so far, according to synergy. So I know some of that's likely propped up by Mr. Mark Williams is who I really want to get to next. Um, but yeah, I don't think he's, he's been terrible on that end either. I think that if it really is a conditioning factor, when we get to like the midpoint of the season, when ACC play really starts ramping up, we might be looking back and thinking that <laughs> we were a little bit of fools oh, for, for, sure. wanting, for wanting to talk so bad about his defense. So one, one correction I want to make, Trevor Keels was two for 11 from the field. Overall, only one of five from three-point range. I, I mm-hmm. got got the three-point shooting and the overall shooting mixed up a little bit on the stats. But, but um, what, before you go on, I think it's important to point out, just because we're talking about Paolo as wanting to see more of his defense, we're not saying he's a bad defender. No. We're just saying we want to see more. You know, We want to see a bigger sample size. We want to see more. Because when you watch Chet, and we're comparing the two as potential number one picks, Chet dominates defensively, but it's exactly what we just said. We want to see more from Chet offensively. Paolo on the other side, we want to see more from him defensively. So, I mean, it's not saying they're bad. It's just saying we want to see more progress, if you want to put it that way. Because here's the thing with Paolo. Like, some people who are watching him, who have watched him going back to high school, they want to talk about how he might be – he might be built a little too upright. He might have heavy feet and – Clearly, he, he has a lot of weight in his upper body 
that could be making things a little awkward from a movement perspective. But I actually don't think he has slow feet. I no, think that no, no. I, I think if he's playing fully engaged for the entire length of the time that he's in the game, like I think he could do some pretty crazy shit on defense. And he, he locks in. He locks in, and when he's when he's engaged and ready to roll, he has quick feet. So yeah, I, I just go ahead. But I, I agree with you hundred percent. No, that there there wasn't really too much to add there, but it, it's just us wanting to hit home to the audience that we believe in Paolo. We believe in Paolo on both ends of the floor. He is absolutely a contender for the number one pick just because I have Mr. Chet Holmgren number one today. That doesn't mean that by the end of the year, I wouldn't have Paolo number one. Or maybe I have Jabari Smith number one. I think it's way too early in this process. I know that's why you hate making a big board this early. That's why you dread this process, Tyler. But I hate him. I absolutely hate it, but I joked with Albert, you jerks that know ceilings are going to make me do it, so I guess I, got, I better do it. So, we're we're, uh, we're, we're going to do it, and I'm going to have a revision to my big board probably every month. And that'll I will just have be a one theme. probably the next day. I'll have a revision of like four different spots. So that's, that's, just, that's just the lay of the lamp. That's part of the process. <laughs> it's, it's exactly what we all have to go through. But Tyler, you were, you were jazzed up to talk about Mark Williams before the season. Now we have a seven-game sample size where he's actually looked like Mark Williams that we saw at the end of the year. And Mm -hmm. particularly in the Gonzaga game, he was eight of nine from the field, 17 points, nine rebounds, five blocks. When we talk about interior dominance, Chet may not have been dominant on the interior in that game against a front quarter of Mark Williams and Paolo Vincaro. He had his moments, but I wouldn't say that Chet was as dominant as he was against UCLA, for example. Mark Williams was dominant on the interior. And a lot of that really came in the second half when his energy level was clearly was clearly a, a, a lot higher. That Duke team was much more engaged in the second half overall. Talk to me a little bit about what you saw from, from Mark Williams and, and why you think that this might have been a game that really makes people look back and go, we, we better be considering him in the first round despite some of the concerns about, oh, we can't take a traditional big man this, this high in the first round. But Mark Williams... Seems to be off to a really special start, Tyler. I just went, I kind of wasn't sold on this guy. And it wasn't saying he wasn't a good basketball player. I just, I, I couldn't really find any games where I was just like, yes, I'm on board. You know, I'm, I'm sold on the idea of him being a potential late first round to climbing a little bit. I just hadn't really seen enough. And then you watch this game and it was almost like Mark Williams basically saying, you guys better pay attention to what I can do on the basketball court. Cause he was just unbelievable. I mean, probably one of the better performances the entire night. And I know everyone's going to talk about Chet versus Paolo, but Mark Williams was all over the place. And I was just watching that game, just shocked about how dominant he was. What's, he was- what's crazy when you say that is that we have so many quote-unquote bigs in this draft class who we're all going to point to and they're, they, they can do things on the perimeter, they can handle the basketball, and, and maybe some of that leads us to call them mobile and coordinated and fluid. But Mark Williams, when you watch him against Gonzaga, for example, was like, hold my beer and watch this yes. at different points in the game. It, it, it was just – I always – you know, I talked about this with Tyler Metcalf, who's part of our family, of course, but 
it's always I always caution myself when I'm watching bigs, especially when they're not like the Jabari Smiths, the Chets, the Palos that could potentially offer you some versatility on the offensive side of the ball. Because when you're like Mark Williams, who's this interior presence, yep. it's always like, how high are you going to really think he could go in the draft? Like how early is it someone's going to invest in him? And I, I'm not saying Mark Williams now is all of a sudden going to become a lottery pick, but I also am saying when we start getting around the end of the lottery where some potential playoff caliber teams are entering the mix and they might need a center like that, that is very fit specific where he can, he doesn't need the ball a lot, but he can make a impact on both sides of the ball, rim protection. I think that's where he could start heating up. Now this draft class is looking like it's going to be another deep one. It's very early in the year, but that was a statement game of my goodness, Mark Williams, when you're rolling, you are one of the, you know, most dominant players on the court and one of the best games we saw this year. So I think that's a game that's going to stick in the minds of, you know, guys like me and you, NBA scouts, NBA personnel, they're going to have that game circled to go back and look at when Mark Williams is rolling, he can impact the game in a lot of ways. So, I mean, what did you think? What did you, what was your opinion of Mark Williams going in? I feel like you weren't as high. Like, I feel like you thought the same way as me, Nathan, if I'm saying it that right. I'm still not fully as sold on him. I agree mm-hmm. with you in that, right? We both wanted to talk about him on this podcast preseason because we looked at what he did towards the end of the year. We saw the numbers and then we go back and actually look at some of the film and you're like, okay, so this guy's seven feet, 243 pounds, can jump out of the gym a little bit, can protect the rim and go up and block shots that some of these other centers in this draft class just simply can't. And he's hyper-efficient finishing around the basket. And that type of a big man has a home in the NBA, regardless of what people want to say is – is that a full-time center in, in today's NBA, depending on what you want him to do offensively, depending on how he has to fit with the rest of the front court from the four and the three positions? Maybe, maybe not. It really does depend on how the rest of your starting lineup and or your roster is constructed. But he absolutely has a home on the majority of NBA teams getting some sort of minutes in the rotation for what he can do. And if you're telling me that he's going to be that much of a menace defensively, protecting the rim while here, here's the best thing. So I, I have one main positive we'll point out about him and then one criticism. The, the big positive that I want to throw out there that's not as commonly talked about as everything else that we've already laid out for Mark Williams, he's had three or less fouls in six out of the seven games he's played. That's phenomenal. That's a big one. That, that's, that's, a big that's, one. That's, that's a huge one. He can't, he can't affect the game defensively and positively on the offensive end if he's spending most of his time on the bench. So him being able to offer that level of rim protection on defense without fouling out is tremendous. My main criticism is that he's had no more than two free throw attempts in all seven of these games so far. So while he may show a certain level of physicality on the defensive end, the fact that He's not looking to be even more aggressive initiating contact on the offensive end. That's a little worrisome because not every one of his baskets can just be a, I'm going to catch the defense off guard slipping to the basket and I'm going to catch a lob for a finish. Like that can't be the only thing you do on the offensive end or else 
you're not going to be a starter in the NBA, more likely than not. You're not going to be a lottery pick in the NBA. You have to give me a little something else offensively other than just finishing lops. Is that a concern for you as well? Yeah, I I think you are and he, ha- he hasn't been he hasn't been incapable of, of posting up and, and, and turning over a shoulder and scoring either. I right, want, right. I don't want to put that out there either, but just being a little more aggressive looking and hunting for contact, trying to get somebody else in foul trouble. Yeah, like we, he has our attention now with his power, his finishing, his defensive, you know, his shot blocking potential. But now it's, we need to see, like you're saying, can he get to the free throw line? Can he shoot a respectable percentage from the free throw line? Is there flashes that he can develop something alongside his offensive game? Like, does he have a little bit of a low post arsenal where he can, he can at the end of a shot clock post up a guy and shoot a little sky hook or, or something like that. You know, Clint Capella is a guy like this that we're talking about where if you can make that dominant impact and be a force on the boards by also developing your game where you can be a specific strong asset inside there, like you said, there is a spot in this league for you and you can have a very successful career doing that. So yeah. I, I, I like, it was a, it was an eye opener with Mark Williams in that game. It was a, I need to start watching a lot more Mark Williams. And, you know, obviously we were going to do that. We're at no ceilings. That's all we do is basically talk draft stuff, but it was definitely one of, I need to see how Mark Williams is going to follow up this performance. Is this the start of a stretch run that me and Nathan like to talk about all the time where now he's going to have five or six really impressive performances and, find his groove again that he found at the end of last year. Does he have a game coming up that he kind of comes back down to earth or is this where the confident started to come together? So, I mean, that's what I'm saying when he was probably the most impressive player on that court, not talking about Chet and Paulo, but he also has gotten the attention in which I could see that buzz starting to heat up again around draft circles. The last point I'll make about Mark Williams is that right now you would say his ceiling is probably along the lines of like a Daniel Gafford or Robert Mm -hmm. Williams, somebody who's coming in like 18 to 20 minutes a night. They're going to be hyper-efficient around the basket. They're going to be able to protect the rim for stretches, but because they don't offer much else in terms of something else they can go to, whether it's a little bit of a face-up drive and hit the foul line game or any semblance of stretch in the floor, even from just the elbows or like the free throw line area. Um, If you're not offering something else like that on offense, you're probably not going to be a starting big in the NBA. When we talk about how few true low post players there are in the NBA, how have some of the true low post guys been able to survive? It's guys like Nikola Jokic. Nikola Jokic can, besides just the passing type of stuff and the crazy point guard type skills he has, he also has that elbow range jump shot. That's pretty much money for him. Joel Embiid, has developed a mid-range touch, and he gets to the free-throw line more, if, if not as much as anybody else in the entire NBA, and is able to knock those things down. Like That's really what takes you up from being a bench big to a starting-level big. you got to show something more. If you're not stretching the floor in a more traditional sense nowadays, like being a threat from three-point range off the catch, you got to be able to do something else on the inside. So that's really what we're going to be looking for for Mark Williams Moving forward, I haven't seen signs that he's going to show more than what he has right now. But regardless, even being the hyper-efficient offensive big with some rim protection, 
that he offers. Athletic, he can run the floor, finish in transition. If he's just that, he's like a back-end type of first-round player for me. Definitely deserves to be drafted in the first round. We'll see what happens. And, and Any other thoughts to add to that before we move on? No, I think you're spot on with the idea that I think right now he's a guy that deserves to be drafted in the first round. He's a back-end type of first-round big right now. If he can show us some more flashes, he might start creeping up. But for right now, I would say he's definitely worthy of a first-round pick. One name before we move on to what I saw in Brooklyn. Um, one name that I've been very curious about, you got to see him in person playing for Gonzaga, Julian Strother. Yeah. Six seven wing has been shooting the hell out of the ball. Pointed out some of the synergy percentiles in my column this morning. Bottom line is he's been incredibly efficient shooting the basketball from all over the place. Fifty three point six percent from the field, forty seven point two percent from three, and to go along with the three point shooting, seventy five percent from the free throw line. So it's not like he hasn't shown the stroke when he's gotten to the free throw line either. Only two point nine free throw attempts per game, but regardless, you want to see him knocking those down to have a little bit more confidence that the jumper is going to translate, even if some of the percentages eventually flatline and they come back down to earth a little bit. But what did you see in person from Julian Strother? Any 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 points to note, any takeaways? I think he's going to heat up in a hurry. Um, I, I left the first game I watched of Gonzaga kind of intrigued, not only with Chet, I wanted to see who would jump out at me with their backcourt. Um. And Strother was a guy that kept making some plays and I left and I think he had 15 and I was like, he had 15. And, you know, I came back that next night. I was like, okay, I, I need to make a point to watch him. I need to focus on him throughout the night. And he just kept making plays. And it, it's not just offensively. He's tough. I mean, he goes and he hits the boards. He's relentless. He makes hu like hustle plays. He just makes those F extra effort possessions to keep, you know, another possession alive, extend a possession. I really like him. And, and I think there's a lot of talent that's just waiting to come to the surface. And I think it's starting to build up right now. I mean, he can shoot it from outside, quick little shot. He's got good size. Like I said, he's got that nastiness. I just think this is a guy that, you know, if, if we're looking at, Prospects that could heat up and start climbing. I think Julian Strother's right there. I mean, you're talking a six, seven sophomore who just looks like what you're potentially looking for when it comes to a wing with upside. And Strother's one of these guys that I'm quickly making a point of I need to watch as much film as I can on him right now because I just, I left Vegas obsessed with Chet obviously but I left Vegas very very intrigued with Strother that was probably one of the guys that stood out to me the most I have him as a first round grade right mm -hmm. now that that's not going to change how high he climbs on my board in terms of being a first round guy that I'm not sure of the fact that he's already cemented himself as a tier three type of prospect for me so that's a a one through four starter in the NBA first through fourth option type of guy at some point in their career the fact that he's already done that in seven games, he had a pretty pedestrian freshman season, but now they're just really having that sophomore breakout. I love it. Love Julian Strother. I, I, I think I agree with you. I think he's only going to heat up from here. So, Brooklyn. Brooklyn. Interesting, interesting experience. I got to see – shout out to Simon Rath. He, he has one of the most impeccable eyes for talent, I think, that you and I can agree on in terms of 
social media type of scouts. He pointed out Tyrese Hunter. He's got a magic eight ball, and we all want rights to that magic eight ball because I swear he's like two weeks ahead of us always on finding someone. So, yes, shout out, Simon. We love you. The man works so hard in his personal life, and yet he finds the time to be digging through the weeds and uncover diamonds in the rough like Tyrese Hunter, six-foot point guard, freshman point guard for Iowa State. So far on the season, he's averaging 13 points, five assists per game. The shooting percentages aren't great, but when you watch him up close, first of all, he, he he's only six foot, but he has that he has that Donovan Mitchell type of build to him, right? Like mm-hmm. like he he he's not he's not a frail guard. He already has a little bit of meat on the bones. Probably going to only continue to fill out. He doesn't have the same wingspan as Don, like Donovan Mitchell has a crazy like plus ten wingspan. He doesn't have that, but he is pretty long for a six foot point guard. You can tell by his impact on the defensive end he's averaging 3.2 steals per game in the game that Corey and I saw up close against Xavier he had five steals in that game he's feisty he's very sound when it comes to making reads defensively when he knows that it's within his wheelhouse to trap at the top of the court force a turnover he's more than willing to swing himself and bring himself into that action I know that Frank Fraschella was calling the games for, for ESPN. He was there watching it up close and personal. Actually, he tweeted something out. Tweeted out a clip about Tyrese Hunter's defense today and how he came away so impressed on that end of the floor. To me, that's icing on the cake. That's already there because his offensive game, his handle, his fluidity, his ability to make reads within the offense, I think that he has the core vision. He's another one of these guys I'd classify him as – He's on his way to being a good passer. I wouldn't say he's a good passer yet, but he's on his way to being one. I don't think he's going to be a great passer, but his dribble craft, his handle is top notch as a point guard, his shot creation ability. He eases himself into three point step backs, like some of the top guards that you could point out in the NBA. And I think that to me is what really jumped out in person. Like Corey and I would just turn to each other after we saw some of the shots he was creating, but we're like, all right, this is pro-level shit. Like, mm-hmm. the, the, we, we can't just look at Tyrese Hunter as somebody who we're only putting away to, to, to watch later, right? Like, this guy's for real. He's here. I'm so excited to continue watching Tyrese Hunter. No, I wanted to ask you is, you know, he's listed small. I, I watched enough of Tyrese Hunter. Obviously, I want to because of Simon. I watched the one game, I think it was against Xavier, where he had five steals. Yeah. Um, he just looked fantastic to me. I was quickly like, okay, I'm on board. And I saw his size and you, you pointed out, you know, he had a little bit of stocky build. Was his physical profile more impressive to you seeing him in person than, you know, what he's listed as? Cause obviously when we see the numbers on, you know, when we're looking through websites or team, you know, Iowa state's official listing of what he's you know measured at, it could get scary, but I, I tell everyone that seeing that physical profile in person can definitely change what you your first reaction was. No, Tyrese Hunter absolutely stands out from a physical perspective. I just got done talking about some of the shot-making things that he's able to do off the bounce, his emerging setup ability. But you compare him to some of the other point guards in this draft class to Kennedy Chandler, to Ty Ty Washington, J.D. Davison, and his electricity in the open court, his speed, his ability to navigate 
where he wants to go on defense. He can make pull-up shots from outside the paint. He showed a willingness to go inside and try and finish over defenders. Corey and I weren't at their game against Memphis, but he drove right into Jalen Duran and showed the will to at least try to finish over him. That confidence level is supreme. That's what you want to see from a point guard of his stature. I walk away, man. I don't. I would I feel get, a lot. I think you're getting. I think you're getting where my next question is. I, I'm pretty excited if this is it. So go ahead. I would feel much more comfortable as I wrote in my column evaluating him for 2023. But I think the more that we see this kid on film, Tyler, we're going to start looking at him and comparing the other point guards, and we're going to say, hold, 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 hold the phone. Is so he somebody we really need to be paying attention to in 2022? So there's always one guy every year. There's one guy that shocks all evaluators, all draft guys that have been watching throughout the year. Like there will be a guy that shocks Nathan. It'll be someone that shocks me and keeps his name in the class. And, you know, hearing the Hunter buzz, seeing his latest performance, hearing the tools from, you know, you, Corey talked about it. Of course, we've heard from draft prospect God, Simon about it. Is he a guy that you think could have a little bit of a stretch where all of a sudden it's like, I might be able to go this year and not have to go back next year to Iowa State? Do you think there's potential that you can make an argument where it's like, okay, all of a sudden he needs to be in the conversation as one of the guards in this Well, what's, what's funny enough is I posed that question on social media and people were responding back to me like, he's already ahead of some of those other guys. Like, I think that the most common answer was that he's probably not ahead of Kennedy Chandler just yet, which I would agree with out of all three of those guards or all four, if we're really going to throw Hunter in the conversation, Chandler to me is the only guy that sticks out as like a lottery level type of point guard right now. As much as I was a fan of J.D. Davis and he's coming off the bench for Alabama right now, he's done some good things. His passing has been much better than I expected, but as far as shooting the basketball, his scoring touch overall, I think there's a little bit more to be desired than when you factor in some of the things I haven't seen him do yet. Like Hunter, for example, on the defensive end, I'm going to hold back on him a little bit. We've, we've talked about some of the concerns about Ty Ty Washington on this podcast. So Chandler is the one who stood out to me the most because of his two-way ability. Um, I know that Metcalf, when we did that podcast together, we talked about how impressed we were with Chandler's ability to stay in front of somebody on the perimeter, hound them, his footwork, his competitiveness on that. And you see a lot of the same stuff from Tyrese Hunter, but you throw into the fact that he's smart enough to be able to leverage some of those situations in his favor as far as forcing turnovers. That's, that's huge. So two-way type of impact. He's still the fourth guard to me out of all four of them, Tyler, but I will not rule him out for him being a factor in the 2022 NBA draft. I, I can't do it. I can't completely rule him out. Do I think that, he'd be better served going back to school for a second year. I actually do think so. The main point that I would disagree with as far as some of the things I heard Fran say, Fran called him a four-year point guard, um, I believe, yeah, on the broadcast. Seem, that doesn't seem sorry, like that's a possibility. Sorry, Fran. Fran, the most I see this kid staying at Iowa State is two years. Like, I love like, Fran at times, but I also know Fran can say some stuff that I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. That, that – I love Fran. Fran is such a brilliant basketball mind. A lot of the things that, that he said on air, some of the things that, that 
I've had the privilege of hearing him say behind the scenes a little bit with pro scout school. I attended, et cetera. I love his insight. Any chance I can get it. That's one time Fran. I'm going to disagree with you, my friend, but, but other than that, yeah, Tyler, he's seeing him up close. He's, he's a dynamic point guard, my friend. we got to throw him into the conversation. I, I may throw him into my first round and just be wild when my first big boy comes out. I don't know, man. Where, where, where are you at as far as the stock? I think this is the year if you're a point guard and you think, hey, I'm making some buzz, the point guard class is a little all over the place. I don't think there's this certainty about it. So if he has a stretch, I don't see why he couldn't enter the conversation because I think – you know, we know the point guards right now, everyone has their own little taste, little spice that everyone's going to be favoring. You know, the Kennedy Chandlers, like you said, Ty Ty Washington's had some flashes. I think people are going to go all over the place. There just doesn't seem to be this obvious lead dog point guard. And I know people will say, well, Jaden Hardy, but I'm I'm sort of not considering him a natural all-the-time point guard. But I don't know. I've the the brief flashes I've watched of him, you know, I watched that one game and he just some of the separation ability that he had, he had I think he had uh I think it was on like the right wing, he had a little bit of like a pick and roll, but all of a sudden he took a step back and I was like, "Oh my gosh." And then he just splashed a three. And I was like, "That got my attention." And then you see the defensive nastiness he has. He's a pest. I was definitely like, "Why why couldn't this guy be in the conversation?" So so here, here's my, here's my two things with him. If he improves mm-hmm. on both of these over the course of the season, and again, he's, he plays for Iowa State, he plays in the Big 12. Big 12 is always one of the better college basketball conferences in the country. The two things that stick out to me are the shooting percentages have to come up, particularly the spot-up percentage. He's only shooting 31.8% on spot-up looks so far this season. He's in the 16th percentile finishing around the basket. That's so those, those, num- <laughs> those numbers have to come up. Those are tough. And then he's averaging three turnovers a game. So if both of those things improve, because I had to look at this. I hadn't looked at this yet before I just looked up some of his synergy stats. He's in the 92nd percentile defensively already. That's absurd. That's that's wild. For for a six for a six foot for a six foot point guard with his instincts, his skill, forcing turnovers. The fact that he's not a pushover physically, he has the build to continue developing in that aspect. He's definitely going to fill out. He's going to bulk up. Yeah, I, I, I think we're all aboard the Tyrese Hunter train. I think we got to – it's early, so we, we can't give Simon all of his flowers just yet, but I think we can probably give him half the bouquet right now. Right? I'll, 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 give him, I'll, I'll toss him half the bouquet. But, yeah, he – uh, we'll, we'll end the Tyrese Hunter conversation. I will say that there there is a world where Tyrese Hunter emerges as the best point guard in this draft class. That that world does it. exist. Do, do you think it exists? I could see it, and and like I said, I have to watch plenty more. But from hearing it, from seeing one game, which I hate doing this, but from one game, I mean, he definitely impressed and. Any guard that I don't care how big you are, if you are nasty defensively and have the potential to be an outside threat with explosiveness and he looks like he's got the right mentality, yeah, I'm definitely going to be watching in a hurry. So um, I'm intrigued. I have to ask you one question and put you on the spot, and it's not about Tyrese Hunter. But you went to Brooklyn. 
we got to talk about Jalen Durant. I need to know Nathan's thoughts about Jalen Durant. Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna talk about we're gonna talk about the Memphis boys. Okay, uh, okay. I was so, like, we can't. I can't get away. I have to hear what Nathan's thoughts. Well, we're we're saving we're saving we're saving the best for last. All right, right? perfect. That, that's exactly right. what we're doing. So, <laughs> Jalen Duran and Imani Bates were ju- just as Chet Holmgren was the main reason for you and Albert going out to Vegas. Those two Memphis guys were the reason why Corey and I decided to trek into Brooklyn the day before Thanksgiving, of all days, the busiest travel day of the year. Yeah, we're taking yeah, yeah, we're taking our asses to Brooklyn saying, screw it, we're going there anyways. Because these guys are two special talents. Now, as far as Jalen Duran is concerned, I was left wanting more. I was mm-hmm. absolutely left wanting to see more because it, it's not just the fact that he got in a little bit of foul trouble in the first half. He just really wasn't engaged for the majority of the game. And the biggest thing that I've learned to do when I actually go to scout these games in person, it's not just what we're seeing on the court, how well these guys play. We can flip on quite literally any game we want to after the fact, and we can go back, we can dissect the film, we can take a look at some of the X's and O's and some of the execution, right? That's not what we're always there to see. But it's how these guys stand out physically, which, of course, Jalen Duran checks that box. The dude's an absolute brick house. He's an animal. I would not want to see him in the streets. I'd be afraid for my life. I'm only, I'm like a five nine short little guy, so I'm, I would not be able to take him on. But you also want to see how he engages with his teammates before the game, during warmups, and you know during timeouts. Is he vocal? Is he getting pumped up along with everybody else? Is he trying to get others fired up and, and pumped up? And I'm not going to say this as a negative because I don't think we can necessarily do that in, in, in this day and age, but he is very quiet. He's very reserved. He's very to himself. Doesn't really do a lot, you know, getting rowdy with the boys and trying to pump everybody else up. And I think you really see that on the court as well. Like he doesn't, he's not one of those guys where you can understand seeing it in high school where he's trying to, to post up on the block more often than not, like he's commanding the ball because he is the guy <laughs> at, at the high school level. He's the most physical presence, like no question about it. If he's not getting 20, 20 touches down low a game, like you're probably not doing your job as a coaching staff, not to, to funnel the ball his way at some point, but at the college level, it's a little different, right? It, uh, unless you are, Somebody who, like like Joel Embiid, for example, when Joel Embiid was at Kansas, he was commanding the ball on the block more often than not, but he was also, the, he, he wasn't as filled out at that time as he is now in the NBA, but he was also 7'2". And at some point, you're just that physical of a presence where you need to command the ball. But if you're not, like, over 7 feet, yeah, you're built pretty well, but you're 6'10", and you also have talent around you you have a bunch of perimeter guys who want to score the ball like Imani Bates like DeAndre Williams like Lomax um like Lester Quinones like you got to balance out the offense a little bit you're probably not going to get 20 to 25 post touches a game but at the same time if you know that that's the case going in you also have to establish yourself and call for the ball and be more assertive and find different ways to to get open and get available and Duran didn't do that for the majority of the game. Now, he had a few exciting blocks on the defensive end, and I think that did get him running the court a little harder. 
got him a little more active, a little more motivated to establish himself in the pick and roll game, get some easy finishes around the basket. But I don't know if it was just him getting in foul trouble that really got him thrown out. And I don't know if it's just like this might be more of his personality, that he's just not somebody who's going to assert himself within the offense. Only seeing one game in person, I can't give you a definitive answer on it. But that's definitely what I noticed. And if you're picking a big like him with a top five overall pick, in the NBA draft, I think some of that definitely has to scare you. I don't know what some of your thoughts are on, on, on what I said. Um, I, I left that definitely, I left the game definitely, you know, wanting more, like you said. Um, it, it just seemed, you know, I've talked to Metcalf before where these athletic bigs that dominated in high school, I'm always a little nervous about what do they do if they don't, do the same in college, you know, how else are you going to impact the game? And I feel like Duran got in early foul trouble, kind of just, you kept waiting for him to have an impact in the game. And then he had a couple of blocks where I'm like you, it seemed like that was getting him going, but I don't know. I, I mean, do you think Nathan, it, it brought up more red flags moving forward of kind of maybe this guy isn't as high of a prospect as he should be. You know, because I'm like you, he's so physically imposing around the basket and defensively, but I just don't know how else, if that's not working for him, how else is he going to make an impact, if that, if you know what I'm saying? So, so every big man needs a quality dance partner, right? And every relationship and every good relationship, it takes two to tango. And right now, he doesn't have the other proper dance partner to be waltzing with. He doesn't have a real point guard in that lineup. It's hurting Imani as well, which we'll get to in a second. But in Durant's case, being able to post up and establish position on the low block and being assertive and calling for the basketball is only half the battle. You also have to have a guard who can actually get you the ball in those spots and make you more effective. Imani Bates is that team's point guard right now. And God bless Mr. Bates. I actually loved everything I saw from Imani before the game started. He is that energetic guy. He's that vocal leader. He's dapping everybody up. He's dancing around all over the place. He has high levels of energy. Seems like a high character guy. His teammates were responding to him very positively when he was leading huddles and, and getting everybody ready for tip off. So I actually like seeing that from Imani, who, quite frankly, should have been in high school this year. He shouldn't even be on a college team. So when you take that level of maturity into account, I love it. I'm all in. Sign me up. That's what you want from a potential top pick in, in the 2023 draft. But he is not a point guard. I don't think he's ever going to be a point guard. It's one thing to say that if you're handling the ball, running your offense, it's one thing to not be a great passer, but just be a good passer. Imani's nowhere close to being a good passer. Like, there are some simple passes that he tried to make in that game. Like, screw threading the needle on a tight window in a pick and roll. Like, he can barely even get the ball to somebody, like, on a Duran post-up, for example. Like, if he has somebody aggressively hounding him on defense, like, they have a really good chance at swiping that ball away. He doesn't dribble very effectively, very, very high-waisted dribble. So I'm not in love with a lot of that either. He seems like a turnover machine on offense. And because he doesn't have a very established handle, he also wasn't able to get around guys very easily either. A lot of east to west dribbling, not a lot of north to south movement. 
and it was leading to a lot of jacked up jump shots. And Penny was kind of letting Imani be Imani. And that's like the worst possible way for this offense to operate. So watching Memphis was painful enough, I'm sure, on television, let alone in person when Corey and I wanted to stab our eyes out at different points during the game. And I, I could have tried to be more positive about saying that, but I just I had to let it out. I had to let it out, man. And God bless you for being the one to, to have to endure that on my podcast with me. But nevertheless, that is part of the Jalen Duran issue. And so I, I wouldn't say that a lot of red flags have emerged, but there are some things that you start to notice over the course of the game where if they're playing a legitimately well-coached team with not great talent, but good cohesive talent, and they're not able to execute in the most simple of ways, like they could turn a game into a low major type of opponent into an up and down foot race. And they could just use all of their athletic talent to overwhelm the opponent. If it becomes a game of execution and X's and O's, this Memphis team is not going to win They're They, they will not win as many games this year as people projected them to win. And I don't think that's going to be totally because of what Jalen Duran might be lacking from a game perspective and how it may or may not translate to the NBA level, but that team not having a point guard absolutely hurts him. And yeah, his, his stock is going to plummet past the top five where a lot of people would have projected him maybe unfairly because he doesn't have the right personnel around him, but for him to reach his potential, he definitely needs a point guard next to him. And he's also going to have to work on that jump shot. Cause when you watch that jump shot and warmups, that thing is flat as a pancake. I could not tell whose jump shot is flatter his or Dario Saric's when he first came in the NBA. I watched plenty of those. Jacked up jump shots too, and those things were absolutely flies a pancake. So I think that area definitely needs a lot of work for him. And he needs he needs to just be more assertive because I think he has plenty of talent. I think he can post up. That was one of his more appealing qualities at the high school level was that he could actually turn and finish over either soldier. He had good touch when he was close enough to the basket. We know how vertical of a spacer he is. We know how he can affect the game in terms of his lob ability, finishing off pick and roll lobs. Like we know how he can affect the game, but he needs to actually go out there and be more assertive in doing it versus just expecting everything to come to him because he's that naturally gifted from a physical perspective. That makes sense. Yeah, totally makes sense. I, I, I completely agree. Any, any other qualms or quips about Mr. Bates and, and what you saw from him? No, Bates just seems like a guy to me that has a, a ton of talent that's too young and trying to play the wrong position. And he just seems like he's sort of getting thrown into the fire. Uh, I'll be really excited when he has a full off season and comes back next year. Regularly. Hopefully not playing point guard. Exactly. Because <laughs> I think maybe he just goes crazy. I think he could explode for a sophomore year. So I, agree I, I would love to see him play off the ball because his jump shot, when he's able to just catch and shoot the ball, it is pretty, man. Like you talked about, like when you were watching Chet in warmups with like that, that Durant-like quality to his shot where it's just so fluid for someone his size, I feel the same way watching Amani Bates shoot the ball. Now, yeah. he def definitely needs a lot more repetition. I think the mechanics are good. He just needs to practice it more because – for as glowing of a compliment as I just gave him about the way his jumper looks, he was missing a lot of shots and warm-ups. So that's not always encouraging either. And you're clearly seeing that bear out a little bit in terms of the, the shooting percentages. He got off to a blazing start 
at the beginning of the season because he could just walk up into whatever kind of shots he wanted to hit against lower-level competition. In Brooklyn, he absolutely struggled from the field from, from all aspects. And we'll see if we'll see if that changes. I'm not sure that's something that's gonna be easily it's gonna be easily corrected this college season. I agree with you. I think once he has a full off season, he can kind of look over film from this past year. He can take some home time to evaluate it with him and his family, training staff, coaches, and hopefully he comes back next year, whether that's for Memphis, whether that's in the G League Ignite, whatever, whichever path he decides to take, hopefully he learns a lot of lessons from this year because what I saw in Brooklyn was not pretty. I saw a lot of the skepticisms and the criticisms that people had on social media before the year started. And I still have belief in him that he's going to figure it out because I think he is a supremely talented individual, but yeah, I will acknowledge that, that what I saw was, it was scary hours in Brooklyn Tyler. It was scary <laughs> hours and it wasn't even Halloween, but it, se- it seems like it, but with that being said, that's going to end tonight's show. Tyler, thank you so much, as always, for joining me on a Monday. The, the series, this podcast series has been incredible. I've loved everything we're doing in No Ceilings. You're, you're, you're the guy that seems to get the ball rolling on all the social media sharing and the content and plug in where everything's found at. So why don't you do the honors for let everyone know where, where No Ceilings can be found at. We're at No Ceilings NBA, and please go to noceilings.substack.com and subscribe to our fantastic newsletter of really talented teams. It has been a hype train that is getting off the rails. It's been fantastic. We are full steam ahead, so can't wait for that. And uh, you can also follow me at Backcourt Violation, in which I will basically just keep pointing you towards No Ceilings. So yeah, thank you, Nathan, for having me. It's It's been a blast. I I love doing this on Mondays. It makes Mondays not suck, basically. Yeah, right? And I can't thank my listeners enough out there for all the support you've shown this podcast, for all the support you've likely shown No Ceilings as well. Again, noceilings.substack.com. Please go subscribe. We are pumping out content every Monday through Friday. I think we, we were all talking as a collective. I think we've got a few double days possibly coming up this week. So definitely make sure you're tuned in for that. Follow me on Twitter if you aren't already at Draft Deeper. I can't thank you enough for the support you've shown me this past week over there as well. I've gained like 200 some plus new followers over the course of like a few days. So that 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 means a lot. That's like a chunk of what I was at previously as far as followers. So definitely keep showing me some love over there. I really appreciate it. And stay tuned to this podcast feed. Um, this Wednesday or Thursday, I may be going solo on a show. Tyler may join me. We have yet to figuring out some scheduling conflicts who knows what's going to happen but i can assure you that tyler will be back with me next monday and next wednesday mr chad ford is finally going to come on my show it's about damn time chad no i'm just kidding he's he's gonna he's gracious enough to be joining me on my show next week so definitely make sure you subscribe wherever you get podcasts to be ready for that one apple podcast spotify youtube you can find all of our podcasts Linktree, L-I-N-K-T-R-D-I-E-E slash No Ceilings NBA. You can find my show. You can find Tyler's show. You can find the Draft Act. You can find NBA Deep Dives. You can find all of them at that link. We're in for a wild season, Tyler. It's it's already been wild. I've I've watched so much basketball already. I cannot believe how much I've already watched. And it'll be interesting to see what we talk about next week. I'm only on the road for one game this week, so we'll we'll be we'll be talking about a lot of film 
that we dove into, but certainly look out for our thoughts on Kansas and St. John's. I'll be there in Long Island on Friday. So thank you so much again for tuning in. Hope you all have a wonderful rest of your week.